Hello and welcome to Tax and Wasted by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. I'm Emilio Garcia and I'm here with our policy director, Emily Dye. How are you? Nice to see you. And uh, this is the first episode of the podcast where we'll have two hosts, not one. I'm excited. I don't know about you. Take the pressure off of me. Oh, okay. We'll see how this dance goes. It'll be like us tripping over each other's feet and like trying to figure out who's leading. It'll be entertaining. No. <laughs> uh, we do have to start off on kind of a grim note because I made a bit of a boo-boo a couple of podcasts ago. So I said something about superannuation that wasn't correct, that both my accountant and you told me, like, why are you spreading misinformation about superannuation? Correct? Yes, that did yeah. happen. Okay, so what I said two, two episodes ago is that superannuation, your, the, the part of your income that goes into superannuation is taxed three times uh, because all of your income is taxed at the same rate, then it is taxed on its way in, so when you deposit it, and then it's taxed on its way out when you withdraw. It turns out that's incorrect. The part of your wage that goes into superannuation is not taxed as taxable income when deposited. However, it is taxed on the way in and on the way out. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so the superannuation guarantee that is going automatically from your employer into your superannuation fund is not taxed at the income tax rate, but is there's a tax offset, so it's taxed at 15% when it goes in. Um, the government considers this a tax cut. I say, why are we taxing our um, retirements anyway yeah, at all? Um, you're not, <laughs> uh, and then when you pull your superannuation out, when you're ready to retire, uh, the uh, capital gains, the realized earnings on that superannuation fund are taxed at 15%. Right. Um, the government, for some reason, considers this a tax offset. You're getting taxed less than we could be taxing you. But this is no. not consistent with how retirements are done internationally. Well, yeah, because the idea behind uh, the concept of superannuation is you put a little bit aside. Uh, that money is taxed differently. And so you're encouraged to prepare for your, uh, for your retirement. And that way you won't be a burden on the government, correct? That's that's more or less the idea. But here, what we're doing is we're saying you're forced to put this money in, and we're going to tax that income pretty pretty generously, uh, generously for the government. Yeah, I think the real atrocious thing is that it's taxed on both ends. Mm -hmm. So um, if you go to other countries, like the United States, they tax it on one end. So it's either taxed when you put it in, or it's taxed when you take it out, depending on whether you choose a four hundred one k or an IRA plan. Right. And here, obviously, well, I mean, uh, you know, Australia is a revenue state, so we're not surprised that they're actually just using this as an excuse to tax the, the living daylights out of their citizens. But that was not correct, what I said. So apologies for that. Uh, and uh, moving on from Mabubu, I think uh, we, can, we can move on to something a little bit more uh, interesting. So we have had now for quite some time our plan, our five-step plan for the post-COVID economy in Australia. We said, what's happening with coronavirus in Australia is really tragic. Obviously, we're entering a recession for the first time in a very long time. Uh, but there is also some opportunity to undo some structural issues, especially when it, as it relates to tax and regulation and waste. Uh, and so we put out that plan, hoping that, hope, that we could uh, make a difference for the good, considering the terrible circumstance we're in. And the part of that plan that I want to focus on is the tax cuts. Yes. Not all tax cuts are equal. There are different ways to implement tax cuts. Uh, we love us some tax cuts. So I just want to know, uh, what is our vision for the COVID tax cuts? 
Well, the idea would be to get rid of very inefficient taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, stamp duty. It's a terrible tax. Uh, it distorts the housing market. It keeps um, elderly individuals in houses that are very large. They're not willing to downsize. They may have stairs. They would probably be more comfortable in a house without stairs that's uh, smaller, or fits their needs better, but they're not willing to do that because in order to transition to that smaller house, they have to pay a huge upfront cost to the government. Mm. Um, so that just distorts the market. And then as a result, we've got young couples that are wanting to have kids, wanting to move into a bigger place, and they have to rent because mm. they the, the houses aren't available, so the housing price has gone up. There's a lack of supply. Plus, they also have to pay that stamp duty, right. um, which again is a huge upfront cost to the, to the government. It's mm. like you're saving for your down payment or your deposit, as I like to yes. say in Australia, and you're also saving in yeah. order to pay for the stamp duty. And Correct. it just it undermines your ability to purchase a home. And the issue is because stamp duty is a payment that you need to make upfront mm -hmm. for the property. In some ways, you're actually adding on that uh, amount of money into the debt of your mortgage, correct? So can you explain to us a little bit how that works? Yeah, so if you've got this large, say it's $40,000 that you mm -hmm. pay to the government, that's yeah. $40,000 that you're not paying on your down payment or right. on your deposit. And as a result, you're borrowing that. Mm -hmm. um, you're not technically borrowing for the tax, but that is money that you would have spent on your house. Correct. Um, so you pay that interest over the course of your loan, whether that's 25 years or 30 years. Mm. The, 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 the whole concept of stamp duty to me always uh, kind of perplexed me. It seems like what the government is saying is, yes, you can, you can start to purchase this asset, but you need to give us a lot of money so that we can put your name on our computer. And <laughs> <laughs> it says, this person owns this property. That'll be, you know, yeah. many tens of thousands of dollars. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's just a revenue-raising thing. Yeah. Um, so we're proposing replacing stamp duty. And just to clarify, there's different stamp duties for every state. It's a state tax. Mm -hmm. um, and land tax is also a state and local government tax. Right. Um, we're proposing replacing those taxes. Land tax already exists, but right now it's just for... Uh, investment properties. Mm. So if you're an owner-occupier, that is, you live in your home, you don't have to pay land tax. Right. Um, what this means, this is actually kind of unfair, because <laughs> it means that my landlord is paying land tax, and guess who's actually paying that land tax? <laughs> Me! That's right. Um, so yeah. that's just passed along mostly to renters, which mm. is harder to save. Right. Um, anyhow, so we're proposing replacing them, so just expanding the like broadening the base. Yeah. So it's making it a smaller tax for more people, which make, distorts the economy less. And a lot of people are very worried about this. They're like, oh no, I would have to pay a tax for the entirety of me having my home. I, right. That doesn't seem fair or right. Mm. And yes, we agree with you. That isn't fair or right. Um, but it is a tax cut because mm. even unless you have an incredibly large home, mm. uh, you're actually going to end up, you will always be paying less. Um, the median home, you'd be paying no land tax at all. Okay. So the majority of people wouldn't end up actually paying the land tax. Okay. Uh, but some people would, and it would be a small amount over time, a small annual payment. Mm. So less burdensome. The government's still collecting some revenue. Okay. It is ultimately a tax cut. Um, and so we're pushing towards more and more tax cuts. Sounds sounds like a good plan to me. Hopefully uh, the, the leaders of the states are listening, you know, the ones that aren't just plunging their entire state into an absolute state of disaster and dissolution and poverty and uh, authoritarianism, you know. No, yes. I won't name any names, Dan Andrews. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to move on now okay. to New South Wales. And there was recently 
a day-long uh, uh, debacle that involved koalas. I love the coalition. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to do this podcast anymore. Uh, all right. <laughs> the coalition. So the the Nats here in New South Wales said, we're going to stop being a part of this coalition. We're going to break rank uh, based on this uh, koala protection scheme. Correct? Yes. And a lot of people, I think, were very confused by the situation. They were like, why is koala... Excuse me, koala protection, the hill that the gnats are willing to die on. That seems so, so bizarre and so odd. So it's not as simple as that, correct? It's actually not necessarily about, no, we hate koalas and don't protect them and we're leaving. What actually happened? It was ultimately a land rights issue. Um, It was burdening farmers. It was um, burdening landowners in general. And so... It's a very important issue. I think a lot of people didn't know about it. So Mm. politically what the Nats did wasn't great. Uh, (laughs) But the actual issue and the actual land rights is very important. And yeah. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, It also just made it more difficult for developers and for people to expand, um, Mm. which is one of the big issues in Australia. And when we're adding on to those development regulations and adding just another level of difficulty, it Mm. means that... um, Housing prices are going to go even further up. Oh, good. I like to talk about housing prices. It's a big problem in Australia. We've yeah, got the world's... No kidding. One of the... Like, Sydney is the least affordable city, second least affordable city in the entire world. That doesn't surprise me. Because um, <laughs> uh, I think we both uh, we both have to pay uh, monthly monthly rent. It's uh, pretty... It, yes, uh, it's painful. Astonishing. Uh, yeah, well, on, on the point of the uh, koalas and the protection and the land rights, what was actually being proposed was a scheme where people with large plots of land had to be responsible for certain protections, environmental protections, for the well-being of koalas. And this was an extremely burdensome regulation in which they'd basically have to turn certain parts of their land into habitats, correct? And they would have to assure that koalas and other other species are protected on their land, which, A is a state's uh, responsibility, not a private individual's responsibility. And B, you were adding on to the burden mostly of farmers who are already stretched incredibly thin for various purposes, not the least of which is water rights. Uh, and and so the Nats were actually saying, no, what you're doing is you're infringing uh, on, the, on the land rights of people and you're also overburdening. Yeah, landowners. and I think a lot of these policies backfire. Like, if you don't care about quality, it's like, no, but if you put it in the interest of the person... You're, you're making a conflict between the person and taking care of koalas. Mm. Right now, that isn't necessarily the case. You add a law like this, and farmers are like, crap, I've got eucalyptus on my farm. I better get rid of all of the eucalyptus <laughs> because then I will have koala habitat. And we saw this happen in the United States where mm. it was the spotted owl, and the spotted owl was oh. an endangered species. And um, they passed a law. I forget which state it was. passed a law basically saying... If you have spotted a spotted owl on your property, you're not allowed to, to log that property. And oh. logging property, is, it's worth a lot of money. And if yeah. you can't log that because you've got an owl and you'd be destroying their habitat, it's going to cost you a fortune. It ruins yeah. you. Because yeah, yeah. um, logging is one of those industries where it's 40 years and you wait mm. 40 years before you can harvest and you're finally able to harvest. Right. Um, and an owl built uh, a, nest. a nest. And hey, so sorry, buddy. Yeah. So I wouldn't... <laughs> right. if I a rational farmer I would go hunting um, yeah yeah but it's true like a, before they actually pass anything yeah and a lot of people went through and they actually just logged immediately mm. um, they logged early just in case and they ended up destroying a lot of habitat yeah. 
for these spotted owls and it completely undermines. So we need to be sure to put policies that are both in favor of the animal and mm. in favor of the farmer so that both are aiming towards the same goal. Yes. When we put those two in conflict, it causes problems and isn't good for the species. Mm. And speaking of the species, I mean, I do like to point out the fact that the, the koalas are like marsupials that have been around for a very, very long time. They also have chlamydia. Yeah. Well, they do have <laughs> chlamydia, but I don't know if that's uh, contributing to their resiliency. But they have been around for a long time. They they eat uh, and they eat you know plants that are very uh, plentiful and available. They have survived many a forest fires, and so you'd think that these are animals that are generally pretty well off. My question is, is there a shortage of inhabitable land for koalas in Australia? Like, are they in danger? Are their uh, numbers running low? Is there actually a really important reason to burden these landowners? So I'm not someone that can actually speak very well to the actual um, impact on a species. This isn't my specialty. Mm. Um, that said, there is a lot of open space in Australia. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of undeveloped land. Um, I've heard arguments that the only reason koalas have survived is because humans and we've been working to protect them. Um, mm. I've also heard the argument that you just made that it's yeah. like they're very resilient, they'll be fine. I can't really speak to that. Okay. Um, but there is a lot of open land. Also, I think it's worth noting that koalas eat a tree that reproduces by exploding in flame. Um, <laughs> exactly. So I see that forest fires and koalas go hand in hand. Mm. Um, if you can survive Australia's bushfires, I don't know, you seem like Megatron to me. That's just me. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on now to Qantas. Yes. So Qantas, they're on my shit list. Uh, they have decided that they're going to announce that they're going to move to Brisbane. So after, you know, furloughing tons of employees and laying off a ton of people and making all these apologies and saying that we're, you know, we're in a really tough position. We don't really have any, any, uh, where to go. Now they're like, oh, but we're actually going to do this thing where we're going to take our headquarters and move it to Brisbane. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our headquarters where we employ dozens of people. We're going to move to Brisbane. Are they just thinking about moving? Do they need a change of scenario or are they looking for something else? Oh, I think that's in debate. We have mm. um, their headquarters. They're paying, I think, four hundred million or no, four hundred forty million in rent mm. on their headquarters here in Sydney, which goes back to affordability of land um, and how um, price of land and price of having headquarters would be a lot cheaper in Brisbane. Mm. Um, that said, Brisbane's also been known to give out huge chunks of money to airlines mm -hmm. that come and make their headquarters. Yeah. Um, in Queensland, we've got. Uh, I think Virgin got $200 million Cute. from the Queensland government Cozy. in order to stay in Queensland. So I think this is one of those issues. This is where crony capitalism comes in and Correct. it's very different from capital like the capitalism that we're calling for, yeah. which is competition. And mm. there should be competition among states. I think yeah. the states should be com competing for companies, Correct. but they should be competing broadly for those mm. companies by creating good policies yeah. as opposed to handouts for specific large companies. Yes. Well, because Qantas, yes, they're going through a hard time at the moment, is not exactly a business that needs government money. If ever you had a, a corporation that should mm -hmm. have enough money in the bank to fend for itself, it's a massive airline like Qantas. But, you know, you also have the story of all of these uh, political officials here in New South Wales scrambling to see how it is that they can keep Qantas here. Now, that could take a couple of forms, one of which could be a handout, so a mm -hmm. subsidy, another of which could be a tax cut. Now, a tax cut, okay, maybe, 
if we could, you know, that would be but something that perhaps again, it could... should be a broad tax cut, not just yes, for Qantas. If we're gonna, but this is the hard, this is the hardship with Australia mm-hmm. is yeah. it, a lot of these taxes are federal, so you can't have states competing for this company by saying, hey, we're gonna cut um, X tax, the corporate mm-hmm. tax rate, because they're not the ones in charge of that, right? Uh, but in general, I think that all tax cuts should go broadly across the board. It shouldn't yes. be for one company that people like, and I think. Mm. This happens a lot. Um, we saw this with Amazon in the United States. Oh, yeah. All these different states were competing to get Amazon, and they're like, we'll give you no taxes. We'll give you huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, and that's really not great. That's crony capitalism. Yeah. And, like, Amazon needs the tax cuts? Like, how about the mom and pop shop? I think they would have way more to gain than Jeff Bezos, who is the richest man in history. Um, so yeah, probably what they're doing is looking for for uh, New South Wales to give them a tax cut. There's very good reason for them to stay in Sydney, considering that Sydney is kind of like the, the, the hub, if you will, of Australia. Of course, a lot of people think it's mm-hmm. Melbourne, but Sydney really is kind of like a landing dock uh, in a lot of senses. But you know, I hope that New South Wales called their bluff and says, you know what, we respect the rights of businesses to make whichever decision is best for them. Au revoir. Go to Brisbane. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to finish off the podcast with a subject that I know is near and dear to you. Uh, and I care a lot about it as well because it's just pure injustice. The estate tax yes. or, as it's also known, the death tax. Yes. So to the Tas- um, Tasmanian government, but an economist uh, has called for and re-implementation of the estate tax in Tasmania mm. as a way of reforming their tax code and making it more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, fully support a more efficient tax cut uh, code. Um, he's also included lowering the payroll tax. Mm. Definitely support that. Definitely support getting rid of stamp duty, replacing it with land tax. Mm. But the estate tax is yeah. actually a very painful tax. Mm, um, and the reason for that is you have like these family businesses. It generally impacts family businesses mm-hmm. where the family's, the business has been in the family for generations or the yeah. father wants to pass it to his son, the mother to his daughter, yeah. however they want to do that. Um, and they can't like you've been, because as soon as that family member dies, yeah. they have to pay this huge bill on an asset that isn't necessarily liquid Correct. and could be highly leveraged. So can I, sorry to interrupt you, but to, to those who don't understand uh, what you're talking about, when you're saying that an asset isn't liquid, you mean that? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not cash money. So Correct. a lot of times we have these like big numbers. You're like, so-and-so is worth however many million yes. dollars. Yes, but that million dollars, that goes in the building that his company is in, Correct. that is in all of these assets that he would have to sell yeah. in order to realize that money. So it's not cash in the bank. That is correct. correct. And very few businesses just keep millions of dollars sitting around in the bank yeah. because that money isn't in use. That money isn't making money for the company. Mm. So if they've got millions of dollars sitting around, that will probably go hiring new employees yes. to upgrading their facilities, to yes. investing in new technology. Mm. Um, so that money isn't sitting around. Right. Um, and the government comes in and is like, hey, you now owe us a giant sum of money. And this actually happened to my own family farm. Um, My grandpa, he died unexpectedly at the age of 50. And our farm and our grassy company Mm. was highly leveraged, meaning we had a lot of debt. Mm. Um, So a lot of businesses understand this. When you're running a business, you borrow in order to grow. Mm -hmm. And this happens a lot. If the one that's running the business unexpectedly dies, It leaves the business in a very precarious situation. They've lost their figurehead. Right. Um, 
lost the guy that's running it and mm. they have a lot of debt. And so this is basically what happened to uh, my family's grass seed company. They had a lot of debt. Um, my grandpa died and the family was left you know, trying to pick up the pieces. Right. And the government gave us a nice $600,000 um, bill yeah. because we had a company that was worth a lot of money. Right. But that was money. It's worth a lot of money because you had a lot of land, some tractors, some buildings. Yes. They were assets. But that wasn't money that you had in the bank. You didn't just have cash money sitting around. Yeah, no. And so what happened as a result of you having to, t to pay that money? Um, ultimately, the family had to sell. And this happens a lot. And this can happen with family homes. This can happen with family businesses, yep. with family farms, mm. where they they don't have that money on hand. Not very many people have $600,000 sitting in the bank to just yeah, no pay the government. And so they sell in order to get the liquid money to pay the mm. government. And they've lost that family legacy. And they've lost that thing that... The family's been working for that they've wanted to pass down to their children. Yeah. I don't think that the government has any place in a family's legacy. I agree. And it's also uh, beyond the inefficiency or the hardship that it may cause, it's very unfair of a tax, isn't it? To say you're working your entire life to build up something that you want to give to your children. This is essentially work that you've invested that has mm -hmm. paid off. Uh, because you're dead, you now have to give us a chunk. That just seems at bottom unjust. Yeah, and you've already paid taxes on all Correct. this. Correct, So yes. it's like these businesses mm -hmm. and these assets, it's like they, if it's a home, they paid the stamp duty. If it's land, they paid the stamp duty. Mm -hmm. They've been paying their corporate tax rate. They've been paying taxes on profits. They've been ta paying taxes on capital gains. They've paid all the taxes. Mm. So it's just hitting them again on what has been a very slowly and painfully Difficult. It's difficult to accumulate that kind of capital. No kidding. And people want those businesses to continue. I think that's a very natural human thing to yeah. want your kids to take over the family business. Well, that's that's why a lot of us uh, work hard. When uh, you you work hard when you're young, so supposedly when you're a little bit older, you have a nice nest egg, and when you have kids, you can pass some money along to them to make sure that they have a leg up and that they can you know have a more comfortable and fulfilling life, and that their kids can be better off, and hopefully that. Uh, done at a large scale leads to a more wealthy, more prosperous country with more prepared people, with more spending ability. And, you know, the cycle yeah. continues. But on that note, and I'd love to keep on talking, but we're actually already quite over time. So we are going to say goodbye. Emily, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. To anyone who hasn't become a member, please go ahead to uh, tax, uh, taxpayers.org.au. I forgot our, our website. Go to taxpayers.org.au and you can become a member there. Also, please subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, Stitch, really wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can get the video version of the podcast on YouTube and Facebook. This has been Taxed and Wasted by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. We'll see you next time. Thank you.